1: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of Amorica podcast. My name is David, and believe it or not, I actually have Ian here with me. Ian, how are you?
2: What's happening, buddy? Been a while. It has. We've been kind of doing these road report episodes individually for the most part, except for, obviously, when you were a guest or I was a guest. But, you know, obviously, with the tour winding down, those episodes will be we winding down with a uh, we're going to do a kind of a tour wrap up, aren't we?
1: Yeah, and we're hoping to have a special guest for that one. And if the special guest can't make it, we'll still do the tour wrap up just ourselves.
2: Yes, yes, that's the only thing that's uh, not finalized at this point.
1: So yeah, so the tour is over. Um, it kind of came and went pretty quick, if you ask me.
2: It did, and it it um, really is one of the few tours that was able to make it start to finish through over the summer.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, and I mean, at the one I was at, I mean, I I didn't really see a whole lot of safeguards. Uh, I guess the only thing is on the meet and greet, you have to stand six feet away, but nobody's wearing a mask, so they they seem to have escaped that problem.
2: Yeah, there wasn't many people wearing masks at the show I was at either. I mean, I was, but I could probably count on one hand the number of folks that were.
1: Well, kudos for them for getting through it, and uh, I think you you hear us talk in one of these interviews. uh, They recorded one of the shows uh, and filmed it. Yeah, it's funny. You and I had been talking about, you know,
2: we'd like to see them put something out. I thought maybe it would be more of a best of the tour kind of thing, but I guess they went with, you know, one show. Smart move, a show towards the end after they kind of had been through the the, the routine a bunch of times.
1: Well, before we get on to anything else, why don't you explain to people kind of what's going to happen going forward with our road reports that we haven't released? Well, we have uh, a few of them that didn't, uh, didn't make it out yet,
2: and uh, being that the tour is over... Kind of going to do a uh, a best of best of the rest kind of situation and uh, release those, followed by a uh, tour wrap-up episode.
1: Yeah, so we'll be getting that out to you, and then we'll get back into our regular rotation of uh, us two knuckleheads talking about things and interviewing people that know a whole lot more than us.
2: And it should be uh, worth noting to tie in with that tour wrap-up, we're going to do a very big Shake Your Money Maker-related giveaway.
1: Very big, and very big. Yeah.
2: Stay tuned for that as well. And part of the contents of that giveaway are courtesy of a longtime fan, friend of ours, Mr. Sean Hillman.
1: Yeah, Sean's very, uh, very generous with one of his donations. I think it's it going to be a total of five or six giveaways. Six. Six giveaways. One of them's really big, and the other ones are big. Um,
2: it's going to be a, almost like a Willy Wonka situation. You're yeah. You get yourself the golden ticket. You won't know who's getting the big one, you know?
1: Yeah, somebody's going to get the big present, and the rest are just going to get the. Regular present. Um, speaking of into tour and no rest for the w- wicked, huh? Uh, looks like uh, Chris was with uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band, uh, in at their Beacon Theater run, at least for one show. Uh, I know they did Show Me, and th- did they do Space Captain?
2: Yeah, Space Captain.
1: Yeah, you got you got Susan and Chris together. Space Captain is going to happen, which I love. I know a lot of people don't like that song, but uh, it was very cool the backstage video because you realize, hey, they're just like us. They're trying to figure this thing out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I always like kind of peeks into the behind the scenes every once in a while just to see, you know, it's interesting to see those people uh, interact and and knowing what we know from interviewing Susan, you know, she's a very big fan of Chris and, you know, and his musical prowess. So, I mean, that was nice to see them together.
1: Yeah, it was. I, I still think they need to go on tour again. Yeah. If the Crows are going to do a package tour next summer, they would not be a bad one to get packaged with. No, that would be a fantastic tour. But uh, other than that, not a whole lot going on. I think uh, the band is going to have some downtime until those Vegas shows. And, uh, of course, we'll have somebody at those Vegas shows to to tell us all about it. Yeah, we plan to do
2: that. And then for the time being, it seems the next round of shows will be early 2022 over in the U.K. and Europe. So, uh, you know, we have some friends and fans over there that I'm sure will... Join us for the uh, round two of the road reports.
1: And they're doing a Brothers of a Feather in Florida, I think, in January. Yes, that's it's right. Either January or February. I was th- that's not that's only about a four and a half five hour drive for me. I was thinking about going, but it's a type of like songwriters conference. You can't buy a ticket to one event. The whole weekend's like four hundred dollars.
2: Yeah, that's the thing with those kind of th- uh, deals. You know, I, I mean, I guess that's classified maybe as a private show. I don't know.
1: Yeah, not real sure how that works. All right, everybody. So here's what's going to happen on this episode. Uh, a month or so ago, Ian and I recorded an episode where we talk about some of our favorite TV moments from the Crows, which was fun. And uh, we really enjoyed that one. Had a good time. And then we have two, uh, two Philly road reports. So the first one's going to be from our buddy, Jared Delaney, who has a Prince podcast called When Doves Podcast. Good friend of the show. Good dude. Uh, we always like talking to him. Uh, that podcast is really good. It's honestly that he takes a lot of the same approach that we do. And then the second Philly review is going to be Richard and Nick from the, uh, black crows tribute band remedy. I've been wanting to try to do something with them for a while. And we were finally able to make that happen. Uh, they were great guys gave a lot of really good insight. Uh, it's interesting. You'll see their review of the show and Jared's review of the show a little bit different. So it's nice to get, um, competing ideas there. And, we are going to have uh, Richard and Nick on again in the future to talk about Remedy. Uh, they're a uh, Crows tribute band out of Philadelphia. So if you're in that region, go check them out. Tell them we said hello. We're definitely going to have them, those two guys on again in the future to uh, kind of break down what they do. Uh, we've had the Americans zone. Obviously they're uh, in the Boston area and these guys are in the Philly area. So I think we got the Northeast covered when it comes to the Black Crows, Ian.
2: I'd say so. And we also have some, uh, some great forthcoming regular episodes as we get back into the swing of, of regular episodes, some great chats episodes. So, you know, there's some some fun things on the horizon, some things in the works. And uh, you know, we're really excited about it.
1: Yeah. As always, thank you everybody for listening. But if I could get you to do us a favor, please go to Apple Podcast and leave us a five star rating and write us a review. It'd be greatly appreciated. If you notice when you go and do that, it it compares us to other shows that maybe are a little bit bigger than us and will pop up in their feed is if you listen to, let's say Adam Carolla, you may want to listen to a shout out to our friend, uh, Mike from um, the Adam Carolla show, uh, speaking of which that we had on, but uh, yeah. So we may pop up on something like that. It'll help bring people to the show. So five-star rating and a review. we greatly appreciate it. Other than that, Here's our double episode. We'll talk about TV for a little bit and then Philadelphia reviews. Take care. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the State of America podcast. It's been a while since we've done one, just the two of us. I
2: know it's a it's a special episode,
1: really. Right? Are you surprised that they haven't done any television appearances, like on the late night shows, to promote this tour?
2: Yes and no. Like, really, a lot of their late night outlets don't exist anymore. They were very big on Letterman, and obviously, Letterman is retired. And uh, you know, they were on Leno a couple of times, and now Jimmy Fallon's there. I don't know if they have a relationship with that show conan's off the air you know uh so i don't know if they really have a place you know that uh is welcoming them with open arms yeah i could i could see them on like Stephen colbert that could work and they could also be on uh kimmel oh yeah i
1: think kimmel would let them play outside
2: yeah he always seems to be a fan of uh you know the rock bands you know
1: yeah so that got me thinking ian earlier today and we were talking about recording a podcast about like some of my favorite and maybe your your favorite as well television appearances with the brothers or You know, I I remember used to when they were you knew know they were coming on. You hit record on the uh, DVR or even the VCR back in the day. It was big. It was a big deal.
2: It was definitely a big deal. And when when you threw that out there, uh, you know, we kind of didn't talk too much about the definition of a television appearance. So you know, I kind of went more for you know one off performances. But I don't know if like uh, documentary type things count as well.
1: I would say broadcast television. I mean, when I start thinking about it, my mind always goes to MTV Spring Break. Yeah. When um Southern Harmony had come out and who, there was a guy that introduced them who was that guy that introduced them? know. Uh, he was a nobody. He's small potatoes, isn't he? Thinks he's too good to come on a podcast, is that right? Uh, yes. Anyway, so there was a guy that introduced them. That was one of my that's my favorite performance of theirs. They come out firing on all cylinders, come out with no speak, no slave. Chris is an absolute madman on this song. I love it when they come in out of the solo and he's just screaming so loud you can't understand a word he's saying, but you feel the emotion. Mark Ford just doing things with that wah pedal, you know, just mesmerizing. Gorman wearing the suit, just beating the ever-loving life out of those drums. Like his drum kit is just shaking. And uh, a very, very young Rich Robinson playing that. That's That's a big Gibson he's playing, isn't it? yeah um, Hollowbody. playing that gibson and you know johnny colt was to me johnny colt's always been the rock star in the band don't you think he was the most like gunslingerish guy type of guy you know what i mean so yeah they come out with no speak no slave just blistering and then kind of an odd choice for me for playing in front of a spring break crowd but you know the crows don't care one bit about that uh they break into sometimes salvation and you just have Ford come in and just lay that solo down, which I thought was an odd choice in front of, you know, a bunch of drunk college kids and go into jealous again. It's a great version of that. And then a very energetic performance of remedy. Um, This is one I always tell people if they're kind of wishy-washy on the crows, I'm like, go watch this one. And if that doesn't do it, then you just need to walk away.
2: It definitely is a great performance. Uh, uh, Especially a great document from the, the earlier days of the band, kind of an odd place for them to be they don't they don't strike you as the spring break kind of band you know
1: but that was also the time when rock music in various forms dominated mtv that is true and they were coming off a number one album they pulled it off another one that i love was when they were on letterman doing feeling all right and that was letterman's one year anniversary and he hand selected them you know normally when you go on these shows it's strictly to promote stuff and I and the introduction is just like yeah they've got a new album coming out sometime in like October which I thought was was fun they weren't even promoting anything and then to go on a show like you know you're not guaranteed all these late night shows so then to go on that show and play a cover song yeah that's a total Black Crows move <laughs> Steve Gorman's wearing that wearing that vest during it that was questionable wardrobe Steve <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other than that he played great. Go watch that and look at what Mark Ford's wearing. From afar, it almost looks like a Boy Scout uniform. You know, and he's got those. <laughs> it big, does actually. He's got those big aviator sunglasses on. And Ed Harsh man just does a number on the keys on this song. And I just think it was a. I think it was just a ballsy thing to do. And Chris's vocals are spot on. This was when Chris's voice was getting a. He was a little a little more in control of it. It wasn't as much screaming and yelling as in the past obviously a a song that they played many many times and it's completely in their wheelhouse they we know they love joe cocker we know they love traffic just by things that they have covered and it also goes to show you just how big they were and then how much people like letterman loved them because they did letterman pretty much every album
2: had this particular performance on on my list too i love the fact that they're all wearing sunglasses and they can, i think if i remember correctly it was either like an anniversary for it was his one year anniversary it was his
1: one year anniversary so yeah I, I, he always seems to be a, a genuine fan of them yeah i think he is and then the last one that i was thinking of that's one of my favorite ones is when they did the tonight show the southern harmony time and they do sting me and there's like a fight, which was weird. Like an interview with Chris beforehand. You know, every now and then you interview somebody from the band afterwards, but they interviewed Chris beforehand, and you know he was being typical Chris. Uh, I think I think they were capitalizing on the fact that you know he had been in the
2: mainstream media at that point for yeah. running his mouth, so to speak. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think they were
1: kind of trying to capitalize on that a little bit, hoping he would say something. It was it was a perfectly fine interview. Obviously, they ripped right into Sting me and yeah. just. God, they were so good then. I don't think I don't I don't think anybody ninety two ninety three rock band wise could touch them.
2: No, and uh, you know it's funny. Not only was the performance great, Chris's little piece was great. But it's I I I, whenever I watch that, the interview part, it's almost like you can hear Rich Robinson rolling his eyes from the stage over, you know, waiting to perform.
1: (laughs) Shut up and get over here and let's play. (laughs) Um, But I mean, he was classic Chris, classic Chris, and. You know, it was a big, you know, they had a pretty big production. You had the, the backup singers and, of course, Mark Ford nails like that second solo. To me, I always love seeing Ford on these appearances because he just makes it look so easy. It does. You know, and you have the ever-evolving uh, wardrobe of uh, Steve Gorman. Yes. And and different, you know, different haircuts or whatever. But those are my top three. What, what, are, what are yours?
2: We didn't uh, compare notes like we normally do. So I actually picked a few more in case we overlapped a okay. little bit so i'm gonna i had the feeling all right one on my list but i'm gonna Mm -hmm. go with a couple others just so because there was a few others worth mentioning one of them being when they were on uh conan in 2000 with jimmy page doing uh your time is going to come i thought that was fantastic and it was finally ed got the spotlight for a minute you know which i always loved that but that's such a great performance that song
1: which i thought was really cool because they picked the song that takes about a minute to really start yeah, which is odd for broadcast, you know, television because, you know, but I guess when you have Jimmy Page as part of it, you can get away with some stuff. You're right. Ed Shine, They when they go, I don't know how they always controlled themselves when they went into the song. To me, I would be so high from from going into it like that. I would just be like losing it. And they just very calmly go right into it.
2: You also have to remember, too, at the time, Conan was in that former Letterman spot, which is the second late night program. So it airs a little bit later. It's a little bit more left of center. I think they could get away with things
1: like that, like playing a song with a one minute, you know, organ intro, you know? Well, Conan was such a big deal to me back in the, you know, the 90s. That's when I was in college and you'd come in at night and, you know, watch Conan. And I heard that he had a. Played a major role in booking the music guest. Yeah, he's a big fan of music, from what I understand. When he he's, he can play guitar pretty well. Is that right? I didn't he know has this. set in on some of on some of the shows with the bands. Has set in and played with them, and like really? he just didn't like low in the mix. I mean, he's actually playing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he
2: it, always it, you can always tell the guys who are genuinely fans of music.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, he he just you know he had my morning jacket on very early, like really early for them. Um, so yeah, I, I I can't argue with that one at all.
2: And then I had, because uh, this left a big uh, mark on me as a as a young man, when they opened the nineteen ninety two MTV Video Music Awards playing "Remedy," Chris in that big white fur coat and his uh, pot leaf embroidered bell bottoms and a
1: spoonful just, of sugar helps the medicine go down.
2: Yeah, and it was you know on that tour or on that appearance rather. You know, no backup singers, so it's it's Mark and Johnny, and I think Rich just singing the, the the backup singer lines, and it was just really cool. It was it was such a an odd way to open that show in a way because they the Black Rose are always nothing like anybody else around them, which I guess is what one of the things I love about them. Well, they most, had really. a number
1: one album, that, and I think that was right after the album came out. That is one of the most kind of talked about MTV Music Awards of all time. You had you, know, you had bands like Nirvana, but you still had bands like Motley Crue holding on a little bit, mm-hmm. and and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. So yeah. it, it, that's one of the more talked about ones. And you know, you hear Gorman say like they did that performance and left. That whole 1992 Video Music Awards. I mean, if you think about it,
2: a lot of big things happened on that. I mean, not only was that there the Black Crows performance really cool, but you had Guns N' Roses doing November Rain with Elton John. You know, that was the performance that. Um, Nirvana started playing "Rape Me" real quick before they uh, went into um, "Lithium," mm-hmm. and that's the one where he, where uh, Chris Novoselic tosses the bass in the air and it smashes him right in the forehead. And uh, you know, Van Halen won Video of the Year for "Right Now." I mean, a lot of a lot of cool things on that one.
1: Was it? Did they get introduced by Dana Carvey as George W. Bush, calling those cute little Georgia peaches?
2: That's right. Yeah,
1: because that's how he came out and like cold opened the the whole ceremony, and then it went right over to them. Yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was back when MTV Music Awards were big. They were, you know, that was your, that's what you talked about at school the next day. And for them to get that opening spot just goes to show how big they were back then.
2: I used to love waiting for the Video Music Awards. The only thing about them, though, was it was almost like a Sunday night because, like, you, you knew you had school the next day or something, you know, <laughs> like it was that time of year. So it was kind of that bittersweet thing. But I always watch them. I mean, I don't even know if they still do them, to be honest with you.
1: I mean, I haven't watched MTV in 20 years.
2: I mean, it would seem ridiculous if they did because they don't play music on the channel. So Right. You know. t-
1: YouTube should host a, a video awards.
2: What a fantastic idea. Yeah,
1: yeah. You're
2: an innovator, David, is what you are. I
1: try. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a savant more than anything.
2: I got one more, and then I have a, a quick mm-hmm. honorable mention, too, if that's okay.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I had on my list uh, 1993, if I'm not mistaken, where they played Saturday Night Live, and they played Nonfiction. Before the record came out, that's a ballsy move. <laughs> that's a Black Crow's move. It is, and I, I just, I love the fact. I mean, also on that show was sometimes Salvation, and they, I really think they did a. Chris was singing the vocal just slightly out of time on that, like he was dragging out the, you know, the cadence on it a little bit, and it's a, a little different, but I liked it. But the fact that they played a non-album track on on that show that was such a showcase for bands at the time, you know.
1: Bands would give their left arm for that slot.
2: The only other band I know that did a song that wasn't on a record that was out was Pearl Jam. What did they do? I think they did, they did Daughter and they, what was the song that they did that wasn't on a record? Not For You, which Vitology had yet to be released. They were still, the other songs they played were off of uh, verse.
1: Wow, that's ballsy too. Yeah,
2: it's a really cool version of Not For You, by the way. Any Pearl Jam fans that may have forgotten about that should check it out. But
1: I'll give you my honorable mention.
2: All right, when yours? they went
1: on Conan and did By Your Side after 9-11.
0: tree when you'll feel
2: See now, I thought you were going to have that on your uh, on your list, so I didn't. I left that off mine intentionally, but that was really a, a poignant moment. A, a poignant moment, yes, exactly. And, and didn't and, they uh,
1: play the first post nine eleven concert?
2: Yeah, I believe it was because it was September twelfth, mm-hmm. and then they were back in uh, New York City not that long after that, right? So you know, but kudos to them for being on. Uh, conan and doing that that was kind of like a uh, there was a lot of things in that time musically that were unifying moments and you know most of them happened under the guise of like the concert for new york city or the, that american heroes thing
1: the who's performance on the concert for new york city on vh1 may be the best four song performance i've ever seen in my life by anybody
2: yeah I, that was that was strong that whole concert you know had a, a thread through it obviously uh, you know people were very much putting all their effort into making
1: keith play salt of the earth yeah and that's a rarity kid rock and john Mellencamp playing pink houses
2: yeah as much as i don't really uh care all that much for kid rock uh you know that was a good performance uh, i do like john Mellencamp.
1: you can say what you want to about kid rock and like his lyrics and stuff but he's a talented musician when i saw him he played every song every instrument on the stage yeah, he's a talented guy
2: and uh you know I totally get it. It's just his stuff never really uh stuck with me or resonated with me. It's not it's not a matter of you know thinking his stuff uh isn't that great. It's just I don't know, never hit me the right way.
1: I really liked him early on, like the first four records. But then when he kind of went in this like country approach or whatever, I, I'm he's lost me, but one thing I do respect about him is he's not scared to like salute his heroes. You know, if you go see him, he'll do three or four covers.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that also maybe put me off Kid Rock a little bit is like, uh, you know, like uh, for one example would be he took that uh, Skinner tune and turned it into All Summer Long. Like, I I just don't like that kind of thing. I love that song. But to me, like taking someone else's music and just putting a a slightly different melody in your own lyrics over it, like I don't know what that is.
1: But he he took Werewolves of London and Sweet Home Alabama and melded them into a song.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, what is he doing? YouTube mashups? I mean, come on.
1: I mean, he was doing that way before anybody else was. That's vision. All right.
2: I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. It just doesn't do anything for me.
1: It's kind of like I don't like it when lead singers of big bands in the 80s go do uh, vaudeville type uh, music and then, uh, you know, do some type of lounge act.
2: (laughs) I, David, I I mean, I don't want this to be the show that breaks us up here. I mean, I was just just talking Kid Rock a little bit, you know. I don't want to have to explain to our listeners that, all oh, the show ended because, uh, you know, we Rock, disagreed David on Lee all Rock.
1: summer long. <laughs> yeah, Kid Rock and David Lee Roth argument broke out.
2: <laughs>
1: What's your honorable mention?
2: My uh, honorable mention was VH1 Behind the Music. I know it's not a music performance, but that was the first time really outside of song performances. I saw them talking at length about the band and got to learn a lot about the history of the band. I thought it was cool that you saw some, like, childhood Footage of Chris and Rich is a, I mean, a perfect thing of Rich sitting on the floor building like building blocks, and Chris just running around them and knocking them down. <laughs> it's like that sums up their relationship so perfectly, you know. <laughs> That's their life. Yeah, and it you know it was interesting to see their father and their and mother a little bit, and I I just like that kind of that that uh, that whole show.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a good one. Yeah, I I I wish they would do something now to
2: promote it. Yeah, it would it would be good. I mean even if they did something, they kind of did this twice in their TV career. Uh one I've only ever seen as a bootleg because it was it was like suspiciously left out of the history of the program, but they did the first, if I'm not mistaken, VH1 Storytellers. Really? Yeah, they recorded it at the Bottom Line in New York City, a club I I don't believe uh, is uh, in existence anymore but they if it wasn't the first it was a very early one but it really only was aired like once or twice but it was really good you know and then they also did a uh, an unplugged but the, the, they did a later unplugged in like 08 or 09 where it had more of a storyteller's kind of vibe because in between they would have the they had like Chris and Rich telling little stories like on separately shot footage and
1: that right kind of all right everybody we'll be back with you sooner rather than later welcome to the State of America Road Report
0: With your hosts, David Hudson and Ian Rice. get started all right all right
2: All right, everybody welcome back to another episode of the state of morca road report and today is a very special road report it is one where uh mr david hudson and i are doing this together and uh, even uh more exciting as we get to welcome an old friend back to the show mr jared delaney jared how are you
1: doing sir
4: I am very well, gentlemen. So glad to see you both. So very glad to be back on the pod. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, hey, Jared, since you were last on here, you started a Prince podcast called When Doves Podcast. Why don't you tell everybody about that?
4: Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Yeah, we, so yeah, uh, me and my partner, a guy named Ed Miller, here in Philadelphia, we started a podcast. It's called When Doves Podcast. We are going through Prince's discography from his first record all the way up to the end, and we are taking each album we're given some analysis of each track, some history of the album, how it was made, how it came together, the production of it, the sales, etc. A little bits of trivia along the way, and uh, much like you guys will do occasionally when you do an album review, Deep Dive, we will argue quite a bit about our takes on different songs, about what they mean, and um, you know try to make each other laugh and try to have a good time, and we just wrapped up our first season, which was basically our decade of Prince through the 80s. We went from his first First record in 1978 up until Graffiti Bridge which was 1990 so we called that his first sort of era um, and we're, ge- we're gearing up for our second season soon we'll, we'll be starting with um, Diamonds and Pearls and then going on through there so if, if folks out in Black Crow's land and there are some of you out there I know because I've talked to some of you are also Prince fans come check us out we'd love to have you and hear your thoughts in the show and you know you can get us anywhere you get a podcast so we, we'd love to have you on so join us
2: Yes, absolutely. And it is a fantastic podcast, if I do say so myself.
4: Thank you so much. It's very, very, very generous of you.
2: We have you here today. You hit the uh, the Camden, New Jersey show.
4: I did. The second to last show of the tour.
2: The penultimate, as they call it, right?
4: (laughs) Indeed, the penultimate show. Exactly so.
2: Yeah. So we usually ask up front, you know, before we get into the particulars of the show, what is your relationship with the Black Crows and how did you come to find them?
4: Yes. So the Black Crows are my, uh, as you guys know, they are my single all-time favorite band. My first time seeing them was my very first show, which was 1990. So I have had, I have a, a 31-year relationship with this band. Um, I saw them when they opened up for Aerosmith on the Pump Tour at a place called Lackawanna County Stadium many, many years ago. And uh, I have followed them ever since and all of their various side projects. So I think if I if I sort of take the Crows, the, the the CRB, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, Rich Solo, the Magpie Salute, Trigger Hippie, all, all of the of associated acts, like the New Earth Mud, I've seen the Crows and their affiliates certainly more than 50 or 60 times.
1: Well, Let me ask you this, Jared, obviously being a diehard fan, you know, there was some mixed reaction when the tour was announced. I have come to learn through doing the podcast that... There's a lot more people that aren't cynical than there are, that are cynical. I have, I'm, I have no problem with people being cynical about the Black Crows. I think it means they meant something to them. If we we're like, you know, hey, puddle of mud's getting back together. Nobody's going to get excited about that. You know, cause puddle of mud, puddle of mud yeah. never meant anything to anybody. Um, Correct. And so I think that's a good thing that it, you know, that it's. St- what? There's somebody out there that's heart just broke. Well, I mean,
4: <laughs> they're okay. They'll get over it. The, Look it over it. I'm a
1: numbers guy, Ian. It's one person. Um, <laughs> but um, the day uh, that they go on the Howard Stern Show and announce they're going on the tour, on a scale yeah. of one to ten, based on what you heard and what you saw, and what, what they told you how the tour was going to be, what was your excitement level?
4: This is a great question. I know you've been asking other guests this, and I've been thinking about it. And I I, I think I, uh, I'm of two minds about it. I would say, on, on one level, a five. Right. Like sort of, OK, I'm glad to hear this news, skeptical of what it's going to be, skeptical of what it's going to sound like. So that's that was very much part of it for me. Sort of the inner fanboy, the kid who saw them when he was 15 years old. He was like, a you know, it was like a 28. Right. <laughs> super, super excited. But then back to that cynical side, I don't know if you guys felt this way. And I, I'd be curious what the larger our larger fan base, our brothers and sisters in this fan base would think. I, I always figured they would get back together because they're brothers. I always figured at some point it would happen. I didn't know when. I didn't know how long it was going to take. But I figured, well, we'll just be patient, and then and then and, and they'll work it out. I mean, they got to go see their mom at Christmas, right? Something. <laughs> like I always figured something would happen. So I was very much of two minds of, uh, of it in terms of that question you're asking.
1: All right, so the show ends – you get in your car, you're going to drive across the bridge back to Philly. What, yeah. What was your excitement level?
4: I would say it was about an eight and a half, nine, I would say. Eight and a half, nine.
1: Yeah. That seems to be standard.
4: Yeah. I, I think that the show, the show it, it was a good show. And I have a lot of specific thoughts that I can share with you guys. I think that there was a couple of things that were working against them. One was the night of the show here in Philly, we had a horrific thunderstorm horrific earlier in the day and the venue they were playing the tweeter center is called uh is one of those big outdoor sheds right so the lawn was soaked and it was covered in mud so when i got to the got to the venue there wasn't anybody out there the, the entire lawn was empty so that was working against them so there was that and then the other thing that was working against them in my opinion this place in, in my opinion in the opinion of many others has the worst sound in the philly region it just, things just don't sound good there. The the the, the 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 construction of this particular outdoor shed is such that it just sounds sort of distorts. It, it never sounds like a clean mix. There's another venue here in town of a similar uh, style. It's called the Man Music Center. Mm-hmm. And actually, the last time I saw the Crows in Philly was when they did that tour with Tedeschi Trucks Band. Right. That was at that venue, and the sound there is gorgeous it's almost pristine because the that venue is built out of wood Mm. so the wood is it keeps everything warm and soft and you can really pick up on everything and this this venue the tweeter center does not allow for that
2: yeah we usually uh address the shake your money maker portion of the show by asking you what your what your highlights were Uh, what stood out the most for you
4: yeah the highlights for me I, i i've been thinking about this too so first of all i gotta say when I heard those chords to twice as hard ramp up, I almost lost my mind. I was, I love twice as hard. I think for me, that's like a top 10 all time debut album opening track ever. That's up there for me. So I was totally jazzed when I heard that. So twice as hard was a highlight. And uh, I got to tell you, I even dug the umbrella. I dug it. I, I, (laughs) I, I, I dug sort of the, the showmanship of it, the sort of rock starness of it, I was sort of into it. So that was fun. Uh, a highlight for me too was Sister Luck. I think that is one of their more lyrically complex songs on that record. For one thing, I love the sentiment of it. I think it's a very moving song, and that was the song too where I thought I heard Isaiah Isaiah, Isaiah Mitchell stand out for the first time for me on that song and i can talk about that later um so that was a highlight i know everyone's been saying this seeing things no question it's a highlight it's it's chris is really selling it he's really he's going full on with the gospel of it and i know everyone else has been saying this too and it's really accurate his voice he's in top he's in top vocal form he really is so he sounds really great one of the things that struck me was uh, was Sven actually on on that one because he so he was he doesn't sing backup on that one right but I I caught I I was watching him a lot and I kept catching him singing along with a big old smile on his face I was like go ahead Sven look at you having a good time <laughs> so I was really happy to see that yeah.
2: It's funny you mentioned that because I noticed that quite a bit myself when, uh, at the yeah. show I went to,
1: that uh, he was very much just enjoying himself. And I think that's yeah. great. I
4: think it's great too.
1: So I, I was at a, a different concert last night, and a friend of ours, uh, Jason Redeen, who we hope to have on the show at some point, he was at your show. And he just texted me he goes, They just played Oh Sweet Nothing. And that was the yeah. first song of the quote unquote hit section. So you're right. expecting No Speak, No Slave or Sting Me or something like that to spend yeah. in that spot. And you hear, oh sweet nothing. Are you? What's going through your mind? I, uh,
4: I I almost lost my mind. First of all, I am a giant, giant, giant Lou Reed fan, and I love the Velvet Underground. And I love Lou Reed, and and they love Lou Reed. I mean, they they you know it's very clear. Rich in particular loves yeah. Lou. So when I heard those chords start, I I started screaming, and I think a couple of people around me were like, what What are you? What is this? What are you doing? They didn't know yeah. it. So I was just thrilled with that. And, and and that's the only show that they played it.
1: Yeah.
4: So to have like a singular, you know, it's always fun for those of us who are like looking at set lists and tracking the songs to have that happen. Well, let
1: me ask you this, because when that song has been played with previous incarnations and with the Magpie Salute and with Rich's solo band, there is a significant jam in there with some pretty yeah. cool guitar interplay. Did that happen?
4: Not, no, not like what we've seen in the past. I mean, there was some. You know, there was a little bit, but it wasn't that long extended thing. But the other thought I had was I was wondering if they if they put it in to the set list last night because it was being filmed and they wanted to make sure Rich had something that was just him. And I wonder if that was like part of the the deal.
1: It's also something it's, they could come back on like they did Freak and Roll when they left Loving Cup off as like a bonus or a deluxe or a separate thing. Totally. Totally. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, you saying that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. It really does. It's, you're probably hundred percent. Yeah, right. I mean
4: that that was that was my thought. And uh, but like regardless, of whatever the reason was, I was thrilled to hear it. And it might have been the highlight of the whole night for me was hearing "Oh Sweet Nothing." I was just I was just ecstatic to hear it.
2: Yeah, the I I think that uh, uh, Rich's arrangement of "Oh Sweet Nothing" is uh, probably the best I've heard. And uh, and the Cabin Fever sessions, Luther really adds some nice. Yeah. stuff to it. Did, how did Isaiah Mitchell fit into the whole uh, the scheme there?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. He 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 added some stuff in there. You know what I thought was interesting? I, I, I Again, I'd be curious what you guys think, because I know you've both seen him now on this tour. The thing that struck me about Isaiah in general is, while he certainly has his a lot of bluesy background, I find his stuff with Earthless to be a little prog-rocky. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that? Yeah. You know? And, and and so I felt like I was hearing that prog rock sort of tone a little bit pop up in, in various solos of his, but particularly in Oh Sweet Nothing. I think I heard a little bit in Sister Luck, too, actually, in Truth, which is maybe why it popped to me. So he definitely had some interplay with Rich. It doesn't feel it feels pretty comfortable, but it doesn't feel as loose as it does with a Mark Ford or or a Luther Dickinson. Um, but the dude can play, like, there's no doubt that he can play. So I'll, I'll, be curious to see if this is the, if this is the formation of the band that stays together and we see, you know, they supposedly have all these new songs they're going to record with George Herculius And, you know, I'll be curious to see if that, if they go into the studio together and how that guitar interplay evolves, if it sticks with, with the two of them.
1: All right. So after that, you get a one, two punch from, um, Southern Harmony, you get No Speak, No Slave and Sting Me.
4: Yeah, it was awesome. It was an awesome back-to-back. I knew I was going to hear one or if not both of those songs. Truthfully, for me, I think I was more excited hearing that hits portion of the show than maybe the Shake Your Moneymaker part. There was a lot of energy in No Speak, No Slave. It really just flew off the stage, a lot of power, and Sting Me too. They just kind of come out and punch you in the face in the best way. And um, those, those were both really, really strong for me. Really strong.
3: Yeah,
2: as a long, long time fan, uh, yeah. what was your take on this Incarnation's performance of Wiser Time?
4: Well, I, it was good. And, and Wiser Time, as you guys know, that's a very particular one for me, as I know it is for many of us. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say, I think it's arguably the single best song that they ever wrote. It was good. I missed the jam. I missed the jam in the middle. I missed like that feeling of you know, you kind of float, you float along with that jam, you know, in this really lovely kind of serene sort of way. And, and I, I missed it. It, The song still sounded great. The vocals were great. Their harmonies were excellent as always, but I I really found myself missing the jam on that one. And then right after that we had Thorn in my pride and there wasn't, there was a little, we had a little bit on that. When Chris played his harmonica and it was awesome to hear, but certainly like you guys know, like back in the day, if you saw a set list that was "Watch Your Time" followed pop- by "Thorn in My Pride," well, that's like forty-five minutes of your show, yeah. right? Like back in the day, that was not that was not the case here, and that's not a bad thing. They both sounded great, but I did I did miss the jams. I missed it.
2: Your hit set was uh, kind of bookended by two covers because then you also, as an encore, got the uh, "It's Only Rock and Roll." Uh, David's yeah. not particularly a fan of that tune, but how did you like receiving that as your as your encore?
4: You know, so I like that song, and I'm a big Stones fan. Probably as most. Crows fans are. I love the Stones. Having said that, I was kind of hoping I was going to get "Hey, Hey, What Can I Do." I really mm-hmm. wanted to hear that one. And I'll tell you, I felt that by the time we got to "It's Only Rock and Roll," they, they looked a little tired. Everybody looked a little tired. I kind of felt like Chris wanted to go home. He, yeah. he wanted to get off the stage. You know, it was it was it was solid. It was to- totally solid. It didn't it didn't knock me out. Uh, not like the way "Oh Sweet Nothing" did, and not like the way you know no speak no slave did uh, it was it was it was good it was solid but it wasn't my favorite thing
2: i i kind of have come to to look at the the hits set now it's kind of like when you used to get a pack of baseball cards or, or something when you were a kid and you'd go through <laughs> them to see what you got and they're like oh there's a there's yeah. this diamond in the middle yeah. you know that's yeah. kind of what that's the fun part uh, i i think for at least me as a long time fan it's like well that's the still the exciting portion is what are you going to get as the encore and what uh, diamonds are they going to sprinkle in there you know
4: I agree. I, I had this sort of fleeting moment. I was thinking, like, oh man, are they going to like bookend like because after all, oh Sweet Nothing. I'm like, oh, they're going to do the Velvet Underground's rock and roll. Are they going <laughs> to do a Velvet Underground double feature, which would have been cool. Uh, yeah. But I totally agree with you. It is like, what is that little diamond? What is that rare rookie card you're going to get in the pack? <laughs> yeah, totally. I totally agree.
2: So, given the chance, would you? see another one of these shows or is it because some people say like they loved it and enjoyed it but like one was enough uh, would you be interested to see another show on, uh, of this nature
4: well i'll tell you this i don't know that i would go see another shake your money maker show because mm-hmm. i feel like i saw it if if next year they do a 30th anniversary southern harmony i'm all in if that's what it's going to be but i feel like you know if this is if this is their plan to sort of reintroduce themselves to a more commercial audience and try to get sort of a a wider general interest like i get it they want to sell records they want to make money they want to sell tickets i understand that having said that i i you know i like and i know you guys probably echo me in this like i I like the different set lists i like being surprised every night i like the occasional like here's a brand new song we've never played it before we're going to play it right now i'm like all right let's do that you know and I, i gotta say you know again if we're if if what we're told is true. That they have like two albums of new material that they could play. Could have thrown out one of them. They mm-hmm. could have thrown them like, "Here's our brand new song, and what do y'all think?" And like, you know, that would have been great to hear something like that. I don't know. I, are those Vegas shows going to be Shake Your Money Maker shows? Yes.
3: No? Yeah.
4: I mean, if somebody offered me a ticket, I wouldn't say no. But like, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out of my way for it. I, I'm more excited now to see what the next step is. To see what, see what the next evolution is of the band that's where i'm at
2: i 100 100 agree with you i think as a maybe like a one-off kind of experience like i i enjoyed this i think i think too many people dismissed this tour out of hand without even really giving it an opportunity and uh you know as you people have heard from these road reports we're doing there's people that went in with their expectations very low and came out with them much higher you know
4: yeah absolutely and, and i think longtime fans who didn't go did themselves a disservice i understand the reluctance I feel it too. I know you guys felt it too with all respect to um, what's his name? Brian Griffin. Is that his name? The drummer? Yes. He's not Steve Gorman. I mean, he's not, and like, I'm not saying he's not a competent drummer. Um, He can sort of hold down the fort a little bit, but I I definitely felt the songs don't swing the same Mm -hmm. way without Steve there and the, and his own particular feel and flourish to it. So I, I get people's reluctance. However, having said that, I enjoyed myself a lot and it was a thrill to see the brothers up there together. I mean, it just was. And to hear them harmonize and to hear those riffs and those licks that we've grown up with. I'm like like the same age as you guys. Uh, I'm just a little bit older than you, I think. And, you know, song I mean, they've been part of my life for more than half my life. So so I think to to say I'm going to just dismiss it out of hand. I think that's that was the wrong choice in my opinion that's just
1: mike all right well jared it was good to have you on again we're excited about your podcast although you're scraping the bottom of the barrel with some of your guests i'm not going to name who but uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> you know
4: yeah we won't talk about that there'll be a lot of heavy editing on that yeah. one but uh we won't worry about that uh no. guys it's always a pleasure to see you i'm so glad to be on thanks for having me <laughs>
1: Everybody, welcome back to another State of America Road Reports. As always, I am your host David, and Ian is running around Long Island this weekend trying to find some cannolis. I think so he could not uh, be here with us, but we've got a uh, actually a two guests this week that I'm actually really excited about. It's two guys that um, we've been trying to have on here one way or the other uh, for a couple of months, and uh, my apologies to them that it's taken us so long. But we've been we've overbooked ourselves, as they say from the black crows tribute band remedy we have nick and richard welcome guys hello thank you thank you it's great to be here what's going on all right so before we get to your show in camden new jersey Tell us a little bit about Remedy and how it came together and then like where people can can follow you guys on social media.
5: Yeah, that's great. You know, um, so, you know, Remedy, you know, we all the entire band obviously loves the Black Crows. And like, you know, we've seen the other uh, tribute bands out there. Obviously, a big shout out to the Moricans, uh, Black Crows Revival, um, you know, and, you know, we saw and I'm like, wow, that's such a great idea. And, you know, given our passion for this music, you know, we started getting together, I'd probably say a little bit before COVID. Uh, But then we were able to kind of do a lot of woodshedding during uh, the COVID time. Uh, You can find us on RemedyTributeBand.com. You can find us on Instagram at Remedy underscore Crows Tribute, or even on Facebook at Remedy a Black Crows Tribute Band. So those are all the places you can find us. And, you know, we we just, you know, we're out there. We're loving it. You know, we're having great shows. Uh, We're playing both like hits and deep cuts. I mean, we're we're kind of doing a little bit of everything and trying to like appease everybody because, you know, we all love the music. So you're the rich
1: of uh, the Remedy, right? That's what Nick yes, was saying. Yes, rich yes. is the rich, so. but, but,
5: but, rich. But, but, rich. I, but I, try to keep a, I try to keep a smile on my face the whole time now. <laughs> and Nick,
6: you're the singer, correct? <laughs> More on that list. Yes, I am the singer. I am Chris, or at least I try to be Chris. <laughs> I try my best.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I obviously, you know, we, we became really good friends with the Amoricans and have discussed stuff at length with them. When you go to play the music, obviously you guys are huge fans, but also you're, you know, you're a musician, so you're, you're, you're qualified to answer this. How much more complex is this stuff than the average person thinks?
6: So I'll give my answer, but then I know Rich is going to have a totally different answer. So from a singing point of view, Chris Robinson's voice is definitely at the top of my range and uh, my normal band, we tune down um, half a step so I can sing all that, you know, journey and ACD stuff we don't tune down. So this is really pushing me, um, as a, uh, vocalist, um, to my limits and I love it. I mean, it's just, my voice is cracking and it's crazy, but I like that. Like I, I, I like that. So from that point of view, it's definitely harder for me, but I like it. And then from a, just from a, a, a lyrics point of, you know, you too, some of their songs have some crazy lyrics like I don't know if they were smoking when they were like I don't know but they're even their lyrics are just like I didn't realize that was what the actual words were and I've been listening to these songs for like 20 years whatever blah blah blah. but I know Rich um and you know the other guys in the band always talk about how the tuning's weird so I'll let him take that part of it yeah I mean obviously
5: you know everything um you know we, we try to stay as authentic to the original tunings of the music so there I mean Rich obviously does a lot of tunings you know, what I always think about the Crows is, you know, there's um, complexity and simplicity where there's a lot of riffs that you're like, oh wow, like that that's such a, a basic riff. Um, but when you, when you start really getting into that riff, you're like, oh, th- there's a lot more to this riff than you actually think, you know, whether from a timing perspective or just really nuanced perspective so you know it, it's um that's been you know i'd say one of the wonderful parts about this is just going deep and really getting the music right um you know i always say i play in a cover band also and i know a lot of the other people in the tribute band play in other cover bands you know with cover bands you know close enough is good enough you know where you don't have to be exact and, and no one's really expecting that but with a tribute band Everyone's expecting that. So, you know, there's a whole different game that you have to kind of bring to these um, tribute bands that you don't to a cover band. So and that that I've really loved doing. So you guys have just, if I remember what you just said, you only started during the quarantine, right? We started a little bit before, before the quarantine, but I'd say, you know.
6: I think I came in like in the middle of COVID. It was like last summer. It was like last May or June. So we were we were in it when I came in. And I don't even know how you found me, Rich. That's a whole, probably a whole other conversation, but I don't even recall. Yeah how I yeah, ended up we, we, in the basement. We, we, we
5: can, we can say that to the next uh, one, but yeah, we've been through a couple of iterations by starting COVID is when things started really going seriously. You mean you didn't go down to Chris Robinson's RS and just pick him out? No, no, <laughs> we, we tried. <laughs> we tried.
1: <laughs> All right. So obviously you guys went to um, the show in Camden, New Jersey, which from my understanding is literally just across the bridge from downtown Philadelphia. So uh, we'll just call it Philadelphia for the sake of, uh, because I've heard uh, we, you guys are part two. We interviewed uh, Jared Delaney, who went to the show as well, so he'll, he'll be part one. And he said that there's some people online get mad when people at like the like if Chris said, you know, hello Camden, you know that they want him to say hello Philly or or whatever. Anyway, so for the sake of this argument, we'll say it's Philadelphia, yeah, the greater gotcha. Philadelphia area. All yeah. right, so let me ask you both first the same thing I always ask people when they went on Howard Stern, announced the reunion. You heard how it was going to be. Who was in the band on a scale of one to 10? What was your excitement level?
5: I was probably about a six. Okay.
6: I would say about this, about the same. So as most people would say, I was a bit disappointed. It wasn't at least other former members too, but
1: that's right. All right. So when you walk out of the show and you're walking to your car or going to get on the train, however you get home, what was your excitement level?
5: I would say seven or eight. I'm going to go with a 6.5. I have a little bit of a different view. Oh, Oh. <laughs> Here we go.
6: but not is- so so i'm comparing so my 6.5 is comparing it to other crows shows that i've been to okay i'm well, not fair. comparing it to like when i saw you know the black um you know whoever i've seen in, in, in the past it's just right. comparing to other black crows shows
1: all right richard so the lights go down somebody comes out, puts a coin in the jukebox we hear shake your money maker and then uh young rich robinson comes out uh, I think he normally plays a Strat or a Telecaster on this one. Uh, you hear the opening chords to "Twice as Hard." What would you think?
5: Obviously, you know, and just to correct you, not to be a geek about this stuff, but uh, he he was playing a Zematus. okay, uh, which is a disc front Zimatis, Uh and you know, and, and he hit that chord, and obviously, you know, it's loud, it's 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 on fire. So, like, you know, that that's it, it's rock and roll. Like, you know, it's it's you know, kind of you hit the ground running with with those chords and that that song. So it's. It's 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 go time. So which was great. A, it's a great opening song. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a great. All right, Nick. So the uh, the chord hit. The band
1: comes in, and then your counterpart, Mister Robinson, comes out dancing like singing in the rain with the uh, with his umbrella. Uh, yeah. With the umbrella. What uh what were your what were your thoughts? I was me?
6: very excited. I had the goosebumps. It was a good first tune. I mean, it, it was definitely a great way to you know kick off the concert. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And I've told people the umbrella thing works better live than it does on video, in my opinion. Yes. So, like, I remember the opening night and I was like, wait a second, am I in the Matrix or something? What's going on here? You know, is this Fred Astaire or something like that? You know, they obviously play Shake Your Money Maker all the way through. So, Nick, we'll start with you first. What were your two favorite songs of Shake Your Money Maker?
6: That's a great question. Uh, I would say probably the first one, Twice as Hard, was was, was really good. Um, what's I like the um, Thick and Thin. That's always a fun rocking, you know, nice driving song. So Richard, what do
5: you think? So, you know, not, not to be cliche with everyone else who's been on, but, you know, certainly seeing things, right? you know, for a couple of reasons, obviously, you know, because it really wasn't like the album, you know, because the, the background singers added a lot, Chris was a little bit more, um, you know, he's a little looser with it. Like, you know, he, he ad libbed some of the lyrics when it come came to uh, seeing things. So that, that was great. Um, the other one would been Strut and Blues, you know, because I didn't see it. And also just because, you know, ironically, you know, we actually had added it to our rotation that week. So it was the first time we had played it two nights <laughs> before. So it was fun, you know, just kind of coming off of, you know, two days before where we had been playing it uh, to hear them playing. It was great. So,
1: Nick, obviously you're you seeing How amazing is Chris's voice on seeing things?
6: Uh, he I mean, so the overall Chris's voice this tour or whatever this you know show i thought was better than the last time i saw them which was i don't even know how many years ago at this point but um i thought he sounded really really good just overall in general and then seeing things i mean he did he did some ad libs and some runs and some you know crazy stuff in in there that was just amazing yeah something that i can't do so just (laughs) don't expect that
1: well and he's doing it his age which is amazing Yeah. yeah true i mean absolutely amazing all right Richard, if you had to pick a low point of the moneymaker set, what would you say it was?
5: Uh, you know, I would probably say um, it, it's mixed. I mean, obviously I'd, I'd probably always go to hard to handle. It's a song that we played hundreds of times, you know, in other cover bands or, you know, with a tribute band, you know, it, it was, and also like, and I'll probably get into it, but you know, with Isaiah's playing on that one, you know, he kind of a little bit went a little too off the rails on that one. Uh, I would have appreciated like him to kind of stick a little bit closer to the original um, just to kind of hear that original, but you know that. But it was still, it was all rock and roll. And to be honest, the fact that you know that was the, probably one of the songs that everyone was up and and, and you know rocking to. You know, you you gotta appreciate that. Nick, what about you?
6: The exact same song. I mean, I'm just tired of singing it. I've sang I've sang that song probably more times than Chris Robinson. Unfortunately, just in my bands, I'm tired of hearing it. But on the flip side, if they didn't play that song, I would have bitched. So. Right. From what I just said, I'm going to contradict, you know, contradict myself and say if they didn't play it, I would have been like, why didn't
1: they play hard to handle? So <laughs> how was how was the crowd for the show? Were they into it? Yeah. So I mean, it was not a sold out show. The people. So
6: Camden has a lawn section, which for a lot of shows, there's 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 people back there. Now, it was raining that night and there was barely anybody sitting on the lawn. Um And Rich has a really good ticket story. I don't know if you want to tell that ticket story, Rich. But um, so a lot of people either upgrade it or they just pushed them up because it was raining pretty decently that night. Um, But inside, under the cover, it was rocking. People were up. I didn't sit down the whole night. I don't think anyone did.
5: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd heard that basically anyone who had a lawn seat, they were upgrading uh, due to some of the open spaces that were undercover. But just quickly, like originally, I was kind of on the fence about whether I was going or not. I think when the 4th of July sale came on, where it was like the, you know, two for $20 uh, tickets, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, can't hurt. Even if I don't go, I'm going to get tickets. So I went in with a lawn seat. Uh, once I got in, I got in early, I got in probably around seven o'clock and I checked the app to see if there were any upgrades available. And there was a, a $30 uh, pit ticket upgrade. Uh, so basically I had, you know, I was two, like my I was in the second row, uh, you know, for old you know, all of $50 which was phenomenal. So, so it's great. You know, and obviously, you know, you, you might not want to ask Nick exactly what he ended up paying for one, which was a lot further I back I got the than tickets
6: mine. the day they went on sale. Cause I was very excited that they got back together. I was like, I'm fully in. I paid $270 and sat about six rows behind
1: where Rich sat. It's a gamble. It's a gamble. You have to take. <laughs> it is a totally. It's a gamble. It's a gamble. You have to take for sure. All right. So the set list, for the most part, have been very predictable. There's like two slots where they're rotating probably 10 songs in and out. But oh my gosh, the second part of this set, did you freak out or were you like, we're about to get something special when they launch into Oh Sweet Nothing? We'll start with you, Nick.
6: So I didn't realize they weren't playing that during the tour. And I tried to stay away from Scentless. Like I knew that they were going to play the whole album, you know, from start to finish. So I knew that coming into it. I tried to stay away from like, looking online and seeing, because I like being surprised. Um, and, and again, not being surprised for the first half of that show, I had mixed, you know, things uh, about that. Um, but Oh Sweet Nothing is actually a song that I, I I knew that they played it, but I didn't know the background behind it and all that stuff until I joined, the, you know, uh, this band mm-hmm. um, and I liked it. It was my second favorite song, I think, of the night, so. All
5: right, Rich. Yeah, so, so I'd gotten there actually early. Uh, so I was outside walking around the venue uh, and I heard it during soundcheck, you know, so, you know, obviously I kind of had a f- assumption that that's what they were going to play. But, you know, it, it's great that they were able to uh, break that out. You know, it was interesting. It did kind of um, I'd say it break the energy a little bit. I mean, you know, the song is I mean, it's a great song. I love when uh, Rich sings it. But, you know, it definitely, you know, it drags on a little bit. Uh, so there was a little bit of break in the energy. Obviously, you know they got out of it real quick once they kind of kicked into uh, "No Speak No Slave." So how how did you think Rich's voice was? Because this is the first song that he sang on the whole tour. Oh, it's great. I mean, I, I mean, at least my opinion. I mean, Rich, you know, has uh, you know because of all his solo stuff over the years, uh, he's really worked on his voice, and his voice sounds great.
1: All right. So the next song is "No Speak No Slave," and Richard, let's start with you. How did you like their version of it? Because there's been some people that have had some complaints about it, but what are your thoughts on it?
5: I mean, listen, if you have complaints about it, you know, in my opinion, it's Isaiah's guitar, his lead work on it. But at the end of the day, you know, to me, that was certainly a highlight of that set. I mean, when, when Chris breaks into that first verse, and both uh, Rich and Isaiah play that lead lick right after that. I mean, that's that's magical, in my opinion. I mean, you know, like every time I hear that song, I just get goosebumps because it's it's a, such a powerhouse. Yeah. All right, Nick, a lot of people tell me that's one of the more difficult songs to sing in the catalog
1: as far as like how high Chris, Chris goes at times. How, how did you think he did on that one?
6: I thought he sounded great. Um, he He was he was pretty much spot on. Like I said, f- pretty much for the whole show, he was pretty much on. I mean, he, he, he
1: was great. Do you have a lot of energy? Absolutely. All right. So you got Sting Me Next. They've played that at a bunch of shows. <laughs> but then you get one of the other songs they are rotating in and out, which is Soul Singing. And um, this is one of those songs like, I don't care how many times I hear it. If you hear it live, you can't help but have fun. It's a, it's a very positive, uplifting song. So we'll start with you this time, Nick. What were your thoughts on Soul Singing and how they pulled it off? So Soul Singing, to me, it's one of my favorite Black Crowes songs that they do. Um,
6: I probably only heard them play it live a hand, like maybe two or three times out of all the times that I've um, seen them. I really enjoyed it. The background singers were awesome. Yeah, that song made me happy. So (laughs) I was happy.
5: Richard? Yeah, I mean, great energy, you know, great song. Always good to see that live. All right. They close out the hits portion
1: of the set with Remedy. I mean, you can't really go wrong with that at a show like this.
6: Yeah, everyone was up, going, you know,
1: going crazy. Get gets people going for sure. Yep. All right. So before the encore, let me ask you this: How was this? Not how the band sounded, but how was the sound <laughs> there? Because we've heard some complaints.
6: So the the the, the Camden Theater, I forget, what's it called, Rich. The B BB- uh, B T. The B B T Pavilion is not my favorite place to see a show. In fact, I, I try to avoid it if I can. But we had decent seats. So it wasn't that bad. My biggest complaint was, and I forget the keyboard player's name. I apologize. Joel Robineau. Yeah. He he I feel he was not mixed properly. It was so ear piercing whenever he would hit that keyboard. I didn't, he was my least favorite musician. And I put that in quotes of the night. Again, he's a great keyboard player, a great piano player. It's his mix to me ruined his playing for me that night. It was so ear piercing. Maybe it was where I was at. Besides that, I mean, I could hear the vocals pretty well, which is what I, you know, listen for um, a lot of times you go to to concerts there and you can't hear, you know, the vocals, but I could hear everything fine. But that keyboard player was mixed way too loud. It was just ear piercingly.
5: Yeah. I mean, same thing. I mean, not, not the ideal uh, venue to see shows. It was loud. I mean, literally, you know, to the point where I, you know, I'd say even the next day, my ears were like I was a little off because my ears were were still ringing the next day. I mean, obviously, I probably should have worn earplugs, but it was loud. And it sounds like they recorded it and
1: filmed it, from
5: what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is pretty cool. I mean, so uh, it definitely sounds like they're putting together a live album, Uh, maybe a, you know, a video of it, too. That would be great. All right. The Encore
1: is the one that they've played more than anything. It's only rock and roll by the Rolling Stones. Excited
5: or disappointed to hear that one? I, I, I would say disappointed. I mean, you know, to me, that's probably that they're, you know, out of all the Stone songs they've done, and they have done tons of Stone songs. You know, I could I, I could pick at least five to 10 other ones I'd love to hear before. I mean, you know, whether it's Can't Hear Me Knocking," whether it's Torn and Frayed, like there's so many songs that they could have done before that one. So it just, it feels odd. Happy that they're adding new songs, but still.
6: So my thoughts were they, they already did two covers again, hard to handle technically is a cover. So that's why I'm, I'm you know, saying too, I would have liked to see them close with one of their own.
1: Yeah. To me, that's, I could understand, like, if you close the first set with a cover, you know, or yeah. you did a two song encore, do it's only rock and roll. And then, and then do an original, and then something else. which, yep. you know, we're, as the tour went on, we started getting more and more shortchanged because I think they played 21 songs the first night and yeah. they got, got in a rut of, of 17. So I would have liked to have seen a few okay. more. So um, Nick, you're the one between you and Rich that seems to have not been quite as excited about the outcome as, uh, as Richard was. Why is that?
6: So, so don't get me wrong. If there was two nights, I would have went back to night too. I would have bought tickets for, for, for the second night. So again, I knew going into it, we all knew going into it, that they were going to play the first album from start to end. I think if I had not known that going into it, I would have thought that was cool. I would have went home saying, oh, they played the whole first album from beginning to end. That was cool. Going into it, I didn't need to hear the that whole you know thing. Um, I would have liked to hear, I mean, they have such a wide variety of song choices and albums and just different ways they play stuff. I would have liked to have, hear, have heard some different things. Yeah, I guess that that's my biggest complaint. And then my second biggest complaint was Again, like I said before, I go to a Black Crows concert expecting to hear jams. They didn't jam. And also, back to the first album thing, I thought they cut some songs short, too. Um, Just like they ended songs quicker than on the album. They were just rushing through getting
5: that
1: first portion done. I'm sure they're tired of playing that.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Part of it's just expectations. I mean, they're not at their creative peak as they once were you know so if you if you go into expecting that they're gonna you're gonna get like a 95 96 show Mm -hmm. that's not gonna happen and to be honest even if you had the that original lineup or the lineup that you love whatever one that is they wouldn't have played together for close to you know you know x amount of years so they would like so we would have gotten a relatively stock show would have taken them a while to kind of get back to their creative peak if that was the case so you know if if you set your expectations you know then then i'm okay with not necessarily getting a, a you know a a band that's out there, it's creative peak. And also like, you know, I would say, you know, for, you know, to me, it comes down to, do you want live music or do you not want live music? Mm-hmm. You know, cause ultimately I'll always pick live music over, you know, no live music, you know, you can sit at home and, and watch, you know, you can, you, you know, Google a, uh, you know, 92 show and watch the whole thing if you want, but I'd rather see live music, you know, and then, you know, I kind of go back to kind of, you know, the whole reason why people were on the fence You know, and it has to obviously with the baggage of the band and everything prior. And, you know, I kind of think about like, listen, if Sven was willing to kind of get past everything and he was willing to be on stage with them, then then who am I to kind of continue to hold grudges around, you know, any of the past stuff? Obviously, I would have loved to have, you know, Steve and and Mark on on stage with them. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I also think that if we don't support this, we're never going to get that. You know, because ultimately it has to be seen as commercially viable in order for, you know, people to kind of continue to support for them to tour. So, like, right. you, you can't have it both ways.
1: I wish they would do a residency, kind of like my mm-hmm. morning jacket did in New York a couple of years ago. Do Moneymaker, Southern Harmony, Amorca, Three Snakes, and then do Band.
6: Like, that'd be like, awesome. Like
1: five nights in a row. I would I would try to go to every oh. show. You know? I could see them doing do that down
6: that. in, like, Nashville or something like that. Mm-hmm. That would be outstanding.
1: Yeah. Or do something like that at Red Rocks. Oh, oh, yeah. We're awesome. hoping we're hoping if they play Red Rocks next year to have like a, a state of a meetup at Red Rocks.
6: Let's go. Rich. Love
1: it. Yeah, I have. So, uh, I've driven past it. Never been to the a concert there. But yeah, that's either that oh, or New about. Orleans is what we're thinking about. <laughs> hey, guys, look, uh, this was uh, great to have you on. And like I said, we're going to uh, in the future nail down a date to have you guys come on and talk a little more in depth about what you do with remedy and with uh, the band we love so much. So um, my thanks again to Nick and Richard from the band remedy, go find them on their social media and we will definitely have them on in the future. Take care, everybody. Hey,
3: I'm going to sing a Lou Reed song.